Good evening. Want to welcome you back this evening as we continue our study in the book of Luke, a textual study in which we uh, go through the gospel account given by a Gentile author, uh, which was sort of a, a unusual, uh, especially for the origins of the church. Uh, but he gives us a wonderful perspective, and uh, we continue pursuing his description of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his purpose, and his goal. As we begin our lesson tonight, I want to talk to you about a a highly popular subject in the church, and that is the subject of fasting. I I know that that's something that, uh, well, we all do, right? Uh, Actually, believe it or not, it's it's more popular in culture right now, a, a diet uh, process, and I know some people here have used it, not speaking uh, in a negative way about it, but it's called intermittent fasting. And uh, the, the idea, just as it uh, is described, is you, there are either certain days you don't eat or certain parts of the day where you don't eat. So you might have a four-hour window or a six-hour window or eight-hour window. In that window, then you can uh, consume your calories, but then after that, you're done. You give your body a chance to rest from the digestive process. As some people go farther than that and, and eat on certain days and completely abstain on other days. Um, and, and uh, uh, you know, diets, all diets work. They're, they're just the ones that you do. My problem with that for me was uh, I, they underestimated my ability to pack in calories in that window. I, <laughs> they, they didn't... Uh, See me coming, but when we uh, when we talk about fasting, uh, we're talking about something uh, that was uh, practiced a great deal more than it is today. It was practiced more under the old covenant than the new, and that's not to say that we shouldn't do it. We'll talk a little bit more about that. But uh, fasting was an Old Testament practice. In fact, if you were paying attention, we even mentioned it this morning in the story of Esther. Uh, she called for the Jews to pray and fast. It was designed, and still is designed, to be a time when you, uh, and I mentioned the, the, the fasting in a dietary way, but in a spiritual sense, it's designed to remove a, a physical part of the body, addressing a fleshly appetite, and abstain from that for a time to focus on spiritual things. And some people find that very helpful and and useful and certainly gives you a great amount of focus because the flesh is always wanting. And so whenever the flesh gets hungry, for example, uh, and you're you're abstaining, it reminds you to pray. It reminds you to focus on the Lord. So Jesus was questioned about fasting, and that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Uh, more specifically, he was questioned about the, his lack of fasting and the, the lack of the disciples fasting and uh, maybe as we look at that, we can understand fasting a little better and maybe learn some things as well. So let's turn to Luke chapter 5 is where we're going to be tonight in the text. Uh, if you're following along and you don't have your own Bible, grab a pew Bible in front of you. One of the, looks just like this and turn to page 1105 is where we'll be. Our text is Luke five thirty-three through 39. And we're just going to go b- through this. Uh, a couple sections at a time, so I'm not going to read the entirety of it at this point, but the setting of this is is Levi's house. Uh, we talked last week about Jesus' calling of Levi, and so there, here we seem to have some uh, post-dinner 
conversation. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law had already complained, as we studied last week, about the dinner guests. And so uh, Jesus addressed them, and he answered that, and he said, I've come to call sinners to repentance. And being as they didn't really have a good argument for that and, and nothing really to debate, uh, then they began to criticize Jesus' eating habits. The first thing we see is that they made a very stark statement. Uh, as, we, as we look here at the, the first thing that they said, uh, we're going to look at uh, next slide for me here. Uh, this is, we're going to read verses uh, 33 and uh, following. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often. And offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, "Uh, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? So uh, the the first, you know, when you step into the world of Pharisees, you need to understand that Pharisees here are doing what Pharisees do, what Pharisees are experts in doing, and that is criticizing other people. Now, that doesn't mean that every critic is a Pharisee, we understand, but if, if you're, uh, especially in a religious or spiritual context, you're dealing with someone who's always criticizing, uh, uh, you're hearing the language of Phariseeism. And the first thing they say is, the disciples of John fast often. Now, we remember, of course, how the Pharisees felt about John um, this is quite rich coming from them. John's ministry was one of very meager rations. Uh, John is, of course, known as living on a, a diet. Uh, this will probably be a fad diet here coming up pretty soon. The, the locust and honey diet. Uh, you've heard about the Daniel diet and all of those things. Um, you know, the John the Baptist one I've never heard of. But, but somebody's probably working on a book right now. And, it, and if you're thinking that you'll write that book, how just cut me in for the royalties, okay? Now, the, the, the diet that John subsisted on, obviously, is a couple things. One, he lived in the wilderness, so there wasn't much there to eat. But, but also considering that John was calling those folks to repentance, and he's seeking them to turn their hearts. And so some, sometimes uh, when your heart is turned, your appetite changes. I could speak to you, but if you ever... You ever you ever, you ever see that special someone, you, you kind of crushing on them a little bit? And this is how Christy felt about me, is all I'm describing to you. When she first saw me, the girl could not eat. She couldn't sleep. She was affected. Do you understand? Um, that You don't need to verify that story or anything like that. But <laughs> my point is, when the inside's affected, sometimes the appetite's affected. Sometimes you get... You're, you're so disgusted, so saddened, so heartbroken that you change, you, you, you don't even eat in the same way. John, um, at this point, may likely have been in prison. Luke doesn't spell this out specifically, but, but they are criticizing Jesus for not being like John, and as we'll see here in a minute, <laughs> they criticize John for being like John. So it, it's kind of odd. 
Uh, <clears throat> then they go on to say, uh, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Now, we know that's true. If you want to turn uh, the, uh, we actually reviewed a little bit of that story last week, when the Pharisee who was bragging on himself said, I fast twice a week and give a tithe of all I get. Now, but yours, you can hear this question just dripping with snark, but yours, eat and drink. Jesus calls out their hypocrisy. Now, I want you to turn very quickly, if you're in your Bible, to Luke chapter 7, verse 31 through 35. Jesus will call them out, and whether he did this right when they were there, or just kind of kept it in mind and then gave it back to them uh, to enjoy at a later time. Luke chapter 7, verse 31 and following, Jesus said, To what shall I compare this generation, the people of this generation, and what are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling to one another. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not weep. For John the Baptist came eating no bread, drinking no wine, and you say, he has a demon. The message version is, that's weird. That guy's crazy. Verse 34, the Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and you say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And yet wisdom is proved right by her actions. Okay, just a simple lesson here. Wherever you are in life, you cannot escape the critics. That is just part and parcel of living. And... I like the, the quote attributed you know, to several people, so most likely Abraham Lincoln said it, you know, you've been criticized, good. That means for once in your life you stood for something. That's, that, you're going to get criticized, and certainly if you're a leader, and certainly if you're leading a movement as Jesus was, criticism is going to come. Now that doesn't mean you're always a martyr. Sometimes criticism is deserved. But there will always be criticism. Jesus was perfect and he could not escape the critics. So who are you exactly? So Jesus, getting back to the the text here, Jesus is saying, fasting is for a reason and for a season. There's a reason that you uh, engage in Uh, depriving yourself. And this is, we'll look here now at verse, I'll, I'll cover verse 34 again. Jesus said to them, Can you make the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. His simple point here is that they don't have any reason to fast. Fasting was for a period of mourning. It was a period of sadness. It was a period of focus. And he gets into this bridegroom uh, illustration, and we're going to talk about in just a sec. But you have to understand that when when we view what Jesus says about the bride and the bridegroom and all of that, that's very that's foreign language to us. I mean, a wedding for us 
is, you know, you've all been here. This, all this stuff has moved, and you've got pretty flowers and stuff. You kind of come in, and you, you know, do this number, and you sit here. You probably don't sit here specifically, but you kind of sit here for, you know, about a half an hour, maybe 45 minutes, um, and, and you watch a ceremony happen. And then afterward, there may be, may be a reception or maybe they go somewhere and, and there's a, a party. But I, I don't know that I've ever been to a wedding and reception that's lasted more than a matter of hours. A Jewish wedding was a, a completely different affair. It was a whole community involved. It was, a, and often, many times, a week-long celebration. There was all sorts of, of uh, traditions and things that had to happen in the bride and the bridegroom and the servants. And, but, but the whole, all of it was permeated with great joy at what God had done and what God was doing by creating another family in the earth. And so when he speaks to when the bridegroom is taken, he is saying, listen, Now's the wedding. Now's the time when things are joyful. There's going to be a time very different from the wedding. Now, whether it was a divorce specifically, or uh, you might think of it when a husband and wife are married and one of them dies, it's a very sad thing, especially when they're, they're relatively young. It's a very sad thing. We've had a few of those here at Northside. And, and that occasion is far different. That's a very sad time. So, so this is not really a question that the Pharisees are asking. This is really an invitation to do battle. And so Jesus, Jesus did battle in the way that Jesus often did battle, and that was this. He told a story. He told them this parable, verse 36. No one puts a new, tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, new wine will burst in the skins and it will be uh, burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But the new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. Uh, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. You don't put new patches on old clothes. Why? Because they don't match up. Um, I don't know if any of you ever had a mother who um, patched your jeans um, back in the day. Sorry, a translation error here. Um, back in the day, it wasn't considered stylish to have holes in your jeans. I realize that is not true now. But back in the olden days, in the 80s, they, when you got holes in the knees of your jeans, they, they would sell these patches. They were of jean material, and you could iron them on or sew them in or whatever, and... And they were patched, but uh, in my case, I still looked like a dork because you could tell that you had a patch. It was quite obvious. We have, if you're not, if you don't like that illustration, um, we have a hole in our carpet in the foyer. Okay, 
if, if you're aware of where it is, then you, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not aware of where it is, then now you have a little fun game to play right after the final amen. That's a bunch of people going around like this, you know. <laughs> and you will find the hole in the carpet quite easily. Do you know how you'll find it? Because you'll see a patch of carpet where the old was patched with something new. Now, it's matched up. I mean, it's the same carpet, color of carpet pattern. It's, it's you know, they, they matched it up with a pattern, and it, it's, it's patched as good as it could be. But, question for you, by a show of hands, how many of you know where the hole in the carpet is in the foyer? Raise your hands. All right. Because you can tell. You can see, right? You don't, you don't I mean, it's, it's just impossible to patch in a way that matches. Well, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. He goes on to say, you don't pour new wine into old wineskins, Old skins, old wineskins aren't suitable for new wineskins. Now, we don't live in an age with wineskins anymore, you know. Use different vessels to hold wine in the modern age. But but back in the day, you you had a wineskin that was animal, made of animal leather, and it was... The new skins were very able to breathe, able to move. Because we filled that thing with wine, it would begin to ferment. And as it began to ferment, it would expand. And you needed something that it could expand with it. Best example I can give you to think of kind of maybe to relate. You ever pick up an old rubber band, you know, and try to use it and you stretch it out, what, what, not an unreasonable stretching amount, and it breaks? Right? That was an old rubber band, okay? And that was an old wine skin in, in the same sort of way. If you put new wine, which was made to expand, into an old wine skin, which has already been expanded and stretched to its limit, all of a sudden it would break and spill all the contents of the new wine. And Jesus is saying here, you don't, you don't put new wine in old wine skins. You put new wine in new wine skins because that makes more sense. New, new wine skins allowed for the change in the growth in the new wine. Old wineskins had already done that. They weren't ready to do that. Old wineskins were made for wine that had already matured, and those old wineskins weren't very flexible. You couldn't push them too much or they'd break. The old law of Moses required some sort of fasting. Required fasting on the Day of Atonement is one area. You can look at Leviticus 16 if you're already... um, looking for another place to look besides Luke. I'm not going to go there. Um, After the Babylonian exile, pursuant to our our story with with Esther this morning, uh, there were four other fasts that were required. You can look at Zechariah uh, chapter 7 and 8 to get more information on those. But there, there were parts of their tradition where it was required to fast. And what Jesus is saying here is, you got you got two different wineskins. You have you have two different things that you're talking about, and that's really challenging. And it was really only applicable in Jesus's day. I mean, today the old and new mix really good together all the time. Um, young people uh, think in ways that old people totally get, and 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 old older folks think in the same way as young people. I mean it. It, and their methods are the same, you know. There's never any opposition at all. So this is really only a, an example from Luke. It doesn't certainly apply to, in any way today. The real point here is, is this. What is the function? What is the purpose of 
this fasting. And Jesus is saying, I'm, I'm different than what you're familiar with. In fact, if you read right into the new wine there, he says, uh, new wine and the old wine, he's saying, this is something you're not used to. And if you even, to try to mix these two different covenants, you know, we're about to change things, and you're not going to like it, and you're not always going to understand it. Obviously, if Jesus was different, the covenant that he brought was different, the promises that he fulfilled were better, and his whole movement was very different than what they knew, then for sure the disciples who followed Jesus would be practicing different things than what the Pharisees taught. And that's probably what they didn't like the most. They didn't like that the disciples were disciples of Jesus instead of the disciples of the Pharisees. Now, we need to pay attention here and note a couple things. He did not reject fasting entirely. He said there would come a time, uh, take away the bridegroom, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. We know that Jesus practiced fasting personally and that he gave instructions on its use. Prior to being tempted, uh, in in, uh, Matthew, there are several references, but I'll give you a couple. In Matthew chapter 4, before Jesus is tempted, he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights. And uh, verse 2 of Matthew 4, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, in the understatement of all understatements, he was hungry. Um, In Matthew chapter 6, if you don't like that example, Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus addressed here um, outward behaviors. Prayer was one and fasting was another. He says this, verse 18, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting was for a purpose and for a reason, and there would be times when Jesus understood and said that your fasting would come into play, and I think it's still true today. Now, Pharisees like to get into a legalistic requirement. Well, how often and when and when not and all of that, and Jesus didn't address any of those questions. What Jesus rejected about fasting was piety on parade. When you do your righteous acts only to be noticed by others. When you do it for your benefit instead of for God's glory, then it becomes a problem. Um, Another way of saying this is new covenant truth was not meant for old covenant forms. I'll say that again. New covenant truth was not meant for old covenant forms. 
we have to leave the Gospels and go to the book of Romans. And I touch this point because I think it is truly the basis for at least half of the questions we receive on Know Your Bible. And that's a misunderstanding of the covenants, misunderstanding of which covenant we're in and uh, the difference between the old and the new. Romans 7, and I'll start in verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. It's a complicated verse. There's a lot, lot to, uh, lot to work out there. But I'll just sim- simplify it by saying, look at me for just a minute. Please do not look at my purple handkerchief. Okay. For the rest of the sermon, do not look at it. This is from your preacher, a direct command to you: do not look at it. Now, if you're human you won't be able to stop looking at it. Why is that? There's something within us that has a nature that violates the rule. You'll, you'll see this when you're driving home, you know, posted speed limit, okay? Any kind of rule d- does the exact opposite of what it is intended to do, to rein people. But there's something within our nature that violates the rule. Quit looking at it, Kathy. I'm telling you, stop. Verse 6. But now. See, it's bad news up to that point because if you have a nature that continually violates the rules, which is, you know, innocuous when it comes to human rules to some degree, um, but, but when it comes to God rules, then you're in big trouble. But now. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. I I like the way that's worded there. And when you have a nature that violates the rules, and you have this entire old system based upon the rules, it didn't work very well with our nature. Not that the law was bad. It was just saying, if you want to try to live life by the rules, here's the 600 plus rules. Good luck. What the law did was make us captive and lead us to the need for a Savior, the Messiah. So that that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the written code. You see, when it came to fasting, just as an example, since we're talking about this tonight, they had certain times to do it, when to do it, how to do it. Under the New Testament, fasting is something you can do, but it's not required of you, and Jesus said, if you're going to do it, shouldn't anybody in the world know about it except you and God? Because that's where the value truly is. So what about fasting for us? What, what can we learn? Uh, the New Testament, first of all, does not command. There, you won't find a, a verse that says, thou shalt fast. Okay? There's not a command. So it's not something that God requires. And I think the reason there's not a command is because the Pharisees took it and made it what God did not intend for them to make it. They made it all about a legalistic outward appearance. But when you look at Acts, when you read through the book of Acts, as our classes had just finished studying, you'll see a couple of instances of the believers coming together before big, important decisions 
and fasting? Did they do that to be noticed? Did they do that so that they would, would, would uh, feel good? I mean, so that the Pharisees would feel good about this new movement? No, they, it wasn't any of that. They wanted to focus. They wanted to, to God to guide their decision, and he, well, they wanted specifically to know his will so that they could put it into practice. Uh, by the way, those examples are found in Acts 13 and 14, if, if you care. But outside of that, outside of in Acts, we don't see any other mentions of it specifically in the New Testament. There's not a command for it. And some people go, well, there's not a command. I don't have to do it. That's, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, you don't have to. Okay? This is, this is, I hate to say a bonus. I don't like putting it in that level. But fasting is something that mature Christians do for the purpose of pulling away from the flesh and focusing on the Lord. There's not a legalistic requirement. This is somebody who's going the second mile in their walk with God and saying, God, I want to focus on you so much that I'm willing to deprive myself of something that my flesh wants all the time. The Bible presents fasting as something that is profitable, that's beneficial. A lot of times you'll see fasting and prayer linked together. Why do you think that is? You ever have a problem focusing on prayer? And like somebody gets up and they, they have sincerely tried to lead the best of prayers and focus us and take us before the throne and, and glorify and magnify God and, and confess and, and, and give thanks, giving and praise to God and maybe make supplication for other people. And, and you can tell it was sincere. It wasn't just something that they just, you know, kind of did out of, out of duty. But they, they say the final amen and you raise your head and you open your eyes and you feel instant shame because your heart and your head were a million miles away from the prayer that was prayed. That's why fasting and prayer are linked, because it help, helps kind of bring those two a little bit together. Now, that's not always practical to do it, and I understand that, but, but fasting, what I'm saying here, is a benefit for, for the purpose of focus. If you think, I have such a hard time focusing in prayer, maybe practicing fasting would help you to do that. You don't need to tell me that you're doing it. You don't need to post it on Instagram just you and God, and say, I just want to know you better, Father. I want to know your will. I want, to, I want to spend time with you, and I need to deprive myself of the flesh so that I can focus on the things of the Spirit. The, the purpose of, of, I think, fasting, as, as we think about it this evening, is to take our focus off of our flesh. It's really hard to do that. I mean, your flesh during this time that I've been speaking has probably spoken to you. I'm uncomfortable. It's too cold in here. It, it's too hot in here. He's going on too long. I, 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 oh, what's that over there? Oh, I sure am hungry. I, I wonder what we'll have to eat at the Devo tonight. You know, oh, what's this on my phone? I mean, your flesh constantly interrupts the flow of worship and praise of Almighty God. Did you think about that? Even right now, as, as, as much as you try to not focus on the flesh, the flesh has a great stronghold. So when you, when you do something that denies the flesh, so that you can focus on the things which you can't see, 
you're getting closer to what and how uh, we can grow in our walk with Christ. Fasting is a way that we demonstrate to God and to God alone that we really are seeking Him in all sincerity. We're seeking Him with seriousness of heart. Again, and I can't reiterate this enough, you will not find it as a legal requirement in the New Covenant, certainly. But it's good, it's a benefit, it's a help, and it, and it can really help you in a couple of ways. Number one, if you're really struggling in your prayer life, maybe you should consider it. And number two, it can refresh our, our reliance on God instead of ourselves. And that's really even harder to get away from. Uh, Jesus and his disciples at that point, at this point in the story, did not fast. But Jesus said there would come a time when they would. And as we'll look at the next couple of weeks, Jesus is really making a, a larger case here for some of the Old Testament practices that they were used to. Not just fasting, but Sabbath and and lot of stuff on Sabbath uh, that we can learn from as well. Tonight, if you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I want to tell you very simply, you can know him. And it's not by praying a sinner's prayer. You'll never find the sinner's prayer in scripture. It, it, it's not by just inviting him into your heart. Jesus never asked someone to invite them, invite him into their heart. Jesus always said, follow me. What that meant was to obey him, to do what he said to do. If you have not followed him, if you've not obeyed him, then you've not followed him. And Jesus said, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. You can begin your journey tonight with Jesus by simply doing what he said to do. If you haven't done that, we'd invite you to do so tonight. And we'll be happy to help you begin your journey with Christ and your walk with Him. But maybe you've done that and you're struggling. We talked about tonight struggling in your prayer life, struggling in your relationship with God and wanting to draw near to Him so that He would draw near to you. If we can help you, maybe there's sin in your life you need to confess and repent of. Perhaps there's something in your life, a situation that we can pray over you and encourage you in some other way. Tonight, if you have a need to respond, I invite you to do so. Meet me down front, and uh, we'll help you in any way we can. Please come as together we stand and sing.